going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 171 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap our results from week six in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord channel is open, available, and free to join. The link to do so is in the description to the podcast. Joey, week six in the books, and what a week it was. Yeah, we're coming off of a pretty terrible week of football, in my opinion. The games were boring as hell, and at least we had some money on the games. You know, it makes it somewhat interesting. And just in terms of my results for DraftKings, I took a nice L in cash games. Shout out to me. My lineup finished with 122 points. I ran, you know, the chalk build that everybody ran. Three running backs, paid up for Tyreek Hill, paid up for Lamar. Not a not a great week. Missed the cash line by, what, 12 points in double ups. Had a 15% win rate in head-to-heads. And I felt like my process was pretty solid. Could have been better this week, I will say that. I, I should have played Cooper Cup, so that's on me. But I don't regret running Tyreek Hill this week. He still had 12 targets in an elite game environment going up against one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. It was just me paying up for him led me to play Keenan Allen and T Higgins who busted and kind of just hurt the overall you know potential of my lineup and then I also made a mistake in not late swapping which you know we've advocated this season to use late swap to your advantage because you have all of the information from the one o'clock games and it's plus EV just in general to have that information and to make decisions based off that information and my dumbass stayed with my original lineup of Kareem Hunt and Browns D at the four o'clock game ended up potentially costing me a win I don't know what I would have late swapped I would have had I would have had to swap off the defense as well so just learn from my mistakes if you're listening if you're down in cash you have to late swap that's what I'm realizing you know if you're not already cashing you you got to make that swap in it was just a bad bad day for me yesterday and bad bad day for uh the results too so yeah i mean i wouldn't beat yourself up too much about not swapping off cream Hunt. obviously he ran a little bit poorly got injured in the game and the game script got completely flipped but yeah i mean i i guess it would have been optimal in your position to do it especially with you behind as much as you were like i was right on the the precipice of the cash line and i i decided not to late swap barely cash this week like you said the cash line was about 134 in most double ups i finished with 136.78 won about 60 percent of my head to heads and i mean yeah it's it's tough when you have two players left you know 6200 running back and a defense and you finish with less points than when you get your 10 points from defense at at four o'clock like that is very tough so negative points out of browns d was tough this week cream hunt only scoring 10 as stone chalk over 60 percent owned in double ups and and getting injured was just obviously not a good spot but uh for me it was it was the cooper cup thing that salvaged the week because i had keenan allen marquise brown very similar to keenan and t higgins just did nothing for the lineup but cooper cup dropping 
37 was enough to get it done for me in cash this week. Yeah, and honestly, like, Cooper Cup wasn't even chalk. He wasn't even the highest-owned receiver in, in cash games. I think that was T. Higgins or Devontae Adams, which was surprising to see. And I just regret not playing him, obviously, after the results. But just from a process standpoint, I felt like he was probably the play. And I got to take locked into Tyreek Hill this week and... You know, I said it, but he had a relatively good game and, you know, I don't regret playing him. Just feel like Cooper Cup was probably the more optimal process play. He was $600 cheaper, has an elite target share, and he ended up getting a 10-point play in absolute garbage time, which I guess also killed me as well um you know, he had 27 points up to that point, which was whatever, you know, solid day and then he scores a 13-yard touchdown when the Rams are up by 25 plus, uh, and that's just that's just how it goes sometimes. And felt like my process was pretty good. Um, results just didn't work out, but the process also could have been better in my opinion. So I, I don't know. Cash, I'm just chalking it up as as a nice L. Got to move on to next week and still trying to bink a tournament. I had another uh, decent tournament finish this week. I finished 34th in the 30k triple option, the same contest that I finished 22nd in. So I'm finishing in the top one percent. I just can't get to the top of the leaderboard which is unfortunate but I'm almost there and I've had some good uh, tournament teams and that's kind of been salvaging my weeks that I don't win in cash is that I've won in GBPs every single week the this season so that's that's pretty good when you're not um cashing in double ups and and not winning head-to-heads yeah no that's it's definitely a nice bit of padding there for the ROI in terms of decision points for cash games, we talked about it on the Saturday night live stream, but coming into Sunday morning, like it really felt like, you know, five ninths out of your cash lineup built itself. Lamar Jackson was the stone nuts at quarterback, even though he didn't work out. I did not see any way that you could have gotten off of playing him from a pre-lock process standpoint. It's just unfortunate that they score three touchdowns with three dusty running backs in Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, <laughs> and Devontae Freeman. You can't really account for that kind of run bad when choosing your cash game quarterback. RSJ to me was a lock at tight end. And the Triple H running back trio and Hunt Henderson and Herbert, I mean, I just had no reason to get off of any of those players. They all projected really well they were at good price points. I guess there was a little bit of doubt with Kareem Hunt due to a report the Browns wanted to cap his usage or make sure that he didn't get too many touches. But like we talked about, like that's just more confirmation of what we already expected to happen. Like they still said in the same report that he was expected to touch the ball more than usual with Nick Chubb out. So I mean, it was just like a negative headline, but the more you read into it, the less of a concern it was. So I I never really considered getting off of Kareem Hunt. Maybe we should have with DeAndre Swift and, and JT and Mixon there, but I don't know. It seemed like Kareem Hunt was still a lock to me, uh, you know, coming into the day. Yeah, Kareem Hunt was definitely still a good play. And in the same report, they said they wanted to give him more work. And then everybody was just, you know, focusing on the negative part of the tweet, which you mentioned. So I felt like he was still a pretty solid play. But then again, Joe Mixon was in a great spot for only 200 more. Jonathan Taylor was in a pretty great spot for 400 more and we'll talk about him shortly definitely could have gotten off hunt to play one of those guys but still felt like he was a good play henderson was a lock herbert in my opinion was a lock like you said five out of the nine spots in the cash lineup were locks and it really just came down to who you played at wide receiver and if you played cup you cash and you know no cup no cash it was one of those weeks again and just just brutal just brutal a lot of the wide receivers that were heavily owned busted 
this week as well. So really all it came down to in cash games was what receivers you played, and that's it. And, you know, sometimes you're on the right end of the 2v2s, and sometimes you're on the wrong end of the 2v2s. And you were on the right end, and I was on the wrong end this week. And that's just how it goes. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like you said, most of the wide receivers that you were choosing between were negligible like in their results. So it didn't really shake the week at all because they all pretty much busted except for Cooper Cup. So yeah, wide receiver was kind of a scratch. And then I never really considered going double tight end this week, even though it was popular amongst a big portion of the player pool. How did you feel about double tight end? Did you ever consider it heavily? I mean, for me, it was the opportunity cost of going tight end over one of the running backs that that really just made it an impossible choice for me. Like I'm not paying 7k for any tight end when the value at running back was so strong this week. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I was not playing Kelsey in the flex, although he was one of the best plays on the board this week, obviously, and I didn't really mind anybody that did. Just like you mentioned, the running back value was too strong with Khalil Herbert locked into like a 100% touch roll in the Bears offense this week and he ended up getting there he was a pretty solid play Kelsey ended up scoring 17 points he's kind of had you know a down year I think in terms of Kelsey standards and he's kind of had a couple bad games by his like high standards in my opinion he's obviously still the number one overall tight end but you know I'm just not paying 7k for Travis Kelsey in that spot and a lot of you know, sharper touts ran that double tight end build and it cashed. So I, it, it did work out, but I still feel like the three running back build was a little bit better. I don't know. I don't know, man. It, the, this was, this was a weird week. I, I was tinkering with my cash lineup, like right up until lock, which I usually never do. This was the first week that it's happened to me this season. And I know on those weeks, it, it, it's probably chalked so (laughs) yeah you know kelsey could say he ran badly with the uh 99 (laughs) yard reception finish you know one yard away from the bonus but i I would counter that with saying that the people who ran kelsey were off of khalil herbert and he also finished three yards away from the bonus so i think that that you know run bad kind of you know goes down the middle like i don't really feel bad for either side of that equation yep i agree All right, let's get into some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. And we can start off with a game that I know is close to your heart in the Dallas-New England game. The interesting thing that I took away from this game was that Dak Prescott finally completed more than 23 passes for only the second time this season, the first time since his week one blow up against Tampa Bay. That change in efficiency corresponded with CeeDee Lamb having the best fantasy game of his young career, nine receptions for 149 yards and two touchdowns. And I'm not going to lie, like I was sick this week. You can probably hear it in my voice. Like I was stone cold passed out halfway through the second, you know, the second slate of games. So Mm -hmm. like I kind of missed what was going on here. Like what happened in this spot with the Dallas passing game? Was it game plan specific or simply game script because it was a close game going into OT? Like what forced the Cowboys into a more pass happy approach this week yeah it was just the game script called for them to to pass a little bit more um it was a back and forth game throughout the entire game the Patriots had the lead for quite a bit of time in this game um yeah just a back and forth game so we see it 
with the Cowboys, if they are losing or if they are in a neutral script, they are willing to pass more. And if they get up big, they're going to run the clock out and, you know, be a run first team. So a lot of their fantasy success is predicated on that fact. So that's just something we have to keep in keep in mind moving forward if we ever want to consider playing them. I had a couple stacks of the Cowboys. This was one of the higher total games and the Patriots have been playing well. They just haven't been winning games and they played well against against the Cowboys. The Cowboys defense is still bad in my opinion and I think the Cowboys kind of uh got a little bit lucky coming out of New England with a W and just hopefully uh we get more of these game scripts with the Cowboys where you know they're they're losing and 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 whatnot so we can actually get some fantasy relevant uh scores from their elite skill position players yeah it's just it seems like it's hard to predict because like you know before the game started you wouldn't look at this as a spot where you think that it would be like a back and forth or like a really really close game against new england but it was so i think it's just going to be hard to predict unless it's a clear-cut spot like against another really high powered offense so it just makes playing these guys in dfs tricky and sort of relegates them to more of like strong gpp plays with wide ranges of outcomes when if it could shift to a run first approach and that's what the team wants to do it makes it hard to trust these guys in cash going forward i think yeah you definitely cannot trust you know amari cooper and cd lamb in cash games in my opinion especially in games where the cowboys are favored you know cd lamb got there dalton schultz got there but other than that it's, it's going to be a crapshoot every single week with this cowboys offense and it's definitely not what we hoped for before the season which is just truly unfortunate yeah definitely got another quarterback story coming off of back-to-back disappointing performances i think we have to ask ourselves whether or not the beginning of the season was just like a mirage with sam darnold because back-to-back disappointing games he completed 17 of 41 pass attempts in week six against a pretty beatable minnesota secondary that's good for a 41.5 percent completion percentage and an absolutely atrocious five yards per attempt yeah sam darnold has stunk stunk it up the last couple of weeks i don't know if that's because of CMC not being there and you know we did talk about it that he is pretty valuable in my opinion you know one of the only running backs that is and I don't don't know Sam Darnold just hasn't been good I think he's had good spots against the Vikings and the Eagles right so I wouldn't expect him to bust especially after he was rushing the ball quite a bit but he's not scoring rushing touchdowns right now so that's kind of hurting his fantasy upside I think definitely those first couple of games were a facade like Sam Darnold is an average quarterback in the NFL he's an average fantasy scoring quarterback in the NFL and I I don't I don't know man this this Panthers offense just isn't the same without CMC and Robbie Anderson is a stone cold bust this year. DJ Moore had a had a pretty bad game against too, so I don't know what the hell is going on with the Panthers and there's some reports today that that are saying that you know they they want to protect Sam Darnold and run the ball more. So we'll we'll see how that shakes out over the the next couple of weeks. If if his pass volume is about to plummet, like that's not a good sign for the rest of the season. So <laughs> yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Joey, in week six, Dalvin Cook returned to full health, touched the ball 
31 times for 143 yards and a touchdown. Alexander Madison, despite playing well in relief of Cook during the injured weeks, was relegated back to his uh, usual role, only touched the ball three times. So Minnesota has a bye week next week, another week just for Cook to get fully right. We would expect him to come out of the bye and see his full workload. And I really just bring this up to say, man, like we were on it. It was a great contrarian play. You got Dalvin Cook at low ownership in DFS. At 7700 a great price tag. Unfortunately, it did not separate in tournaments. I did have this in a few spots, but because so many of the 6K running backs hit, it didn't really make a big difference in terms of finishing highly in tournaments. Yeah, Devlin Cook got outscored by JT... Uh, by Joe Mixon. Both of those guys were cheaper than him. So like you said, he didn't separate from the field, but still a great GPP play. A couple of the top finishing teams in GPPs had Delvin Cook. And like you said, we were we were definitely on it. We talked about it on the stream. I tweeted it out like Friday night that he was a fantastic GPP play and he ended up scoring 25 points. And I, I think it was just an obvious spot to buy Delvin Cook, especially at his 7,700 price tag. Because when are we ever going to get Delvin Cook again at that price this season probably never right so that's just the GPP plays that you have to be looking for every single week you know the low owned high upside guys that are mispriced and Delvin Cook fit that criteria this week and he was a great play so we'll take the W on that one for sure yeah absolutely Daryl Williams in relief of Clyde Edwards Hilaire had some solid numbers 21 attempts for 62 yards and two touchdowns with three receptions for 27 yards how do, how do you feel about this I know I know you would like to victory lap any chance you can when CEH is out yeah I mean Daryl Williams played on 72 percent of the snaps you know had a majority of the running back touches in this spot and he scored more points in this game than CEH has scored in any game in his young career. I don't know how you feel about that, but Daryl Williams, I think, is more fantasy relevant than CEH will be. And maybe that's because Jerick McKinnon isn't going to be involved a lot. And Daryl Williams is when CEH is there. But it's just disappointing to see Daryl Williams have a game like this and CEH never have a game like that. So when he comes off of IR, I wonder what the split is going to be. And I still think he's one of the biggest busts this season in fantasy football especially if you were drafting drafting him at the end of the second round i've been warning people for two years now like ceh is he's he's a mirage as, as you would say he's he's not good He's not a good fantasy player. Yeah, Daryl Williams is amazing, averaging three yards per carry. Hey, Daryl Williams isn't good, but he scores more fantasy points than CEH, and that's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, it was just a little touchdown variance. It's not like he was killing it. Like, this dude had 62 yards on 21 attempts. It's it's not like he's good. No, he's not not good. good. Absolutely not. He just average, he, you know, like you said it perfectly, like, CEH has to deal with Daryl being in there and Daryl doesn't have to deal with anybody being in there so it's not quite a one-for-one comparison I don't think no it's, still got it's not a one for CEH one. is gonna have a better com- CEH is gonna have a better game than this before 2021 is over mark my words hey you, you might be right you know you might be wrong but the thing is is CEH just doesn't have that goal line role which is Daryl Williams role and until he gives that role up to CEH. I don't think CEH has a 25, 30 point game in his range of outcomes until he gets that goal line role. 
and it's just that simple for me. Daryl Williams, 5,800 on DraftKings next week. We'll be talking about that on the Thursday preview podcast. Jonathan Taylor's week six box score looks pretty good. 145 yards and two touchdowns rushing with 13 receiving yards. He had an 83-yard run, longest by a running back this season, 30-plus DK points. Everything seems pretty good with JT on the surface, but his usage, especially in the first half, this man saw two touches in the first half, and that should legit be a fireable offense for Colts head coach Frank Reich. Like, this dude Taylor needs to be on the field all the time. He should be a stone-cold elite bell cow back in the NFL. We need more fantasy options like JT, and we're just not going to get it because Reich is single-handedly stopping it from happening with the way that he utilizes his running backs. Like, you can't be giving Jonathan Taylor this small share of workload. He needs to be a full-blown bell cow in the NFL. Yeah, no, he he's definitely one of the more talented running backs in the NFL and deserves a bell cow role for sure. What do you have? He had uh, 52 or, or 54% of the rushing carries yesterday for the Colts. He only had one catch for 13 yards on two targets, so he ended with 15 touches, obviously made those touches into gold uh you know going over 150 yards and in multiple touchdowns and with JT that's kind of why I didn't consider him for cash games yesterday is because we know that Frank Reich wants to use multiple running backs and he was priced above you know Mixon, Swift, Hunt, Henderson and you know if you if you played him you, you kind of ran hot, I, I, I think. I think he was still, you know, a pretty solid play, but the touch expectation is not great, and the range of outcomes with this backfield right now, maybe it changes, but up to this point, the range of outcomes in this backfield is just way too wide to play Jonathan Taylor in cash, but, you know, he, he had that long 83-yard run, uh, scored two touchdowns, so it worked out, but you never want to play a guy that's going to get, like, 13 to 15 touches in cash games, in, in my opinion. I agree. I thought it was pretty bad to consider JT over Joe Mixon right in that same price range, uh, even though he did end up outscoring him, like you said. DeAndre Hopkins had three receptions in week six. Two of them were touchdowns. That's pretty impressive. He has six touchdowns on the season, which is holding his fantasy value up, but the underlying usage is actually pretty concerning for DeAndre Hopkins at this point. His target share is down to 19.4% on the season after being at nearly 29% last season. He was behind Christian Kirk this week in targets. He was behind the corpse of AJ Green in targets this week, and I'm just confused about how to handle this. My instinct right now in fantasy would be like, sell high, because I I don't think the usage reverts on DeAndre Hopkins. I think that this is how Arizona wants to play. I think they want to spread the ball out. And and Hopkins is going to have these games, like these efficiency games where he scores two touchdowns on four targets, but you can't bank on that. And I think because of his name and his talent, I would be looking to trade him for a more reliable option if that was a possibility in season long. Yeah, I think I agree with you. His touchdown upside is still high, and that's kind of what is keeping him fantasy relevant. But he doesn't have an elite target share like you mentioned they want to spread the ball out they want to run the ball as well they ran the ball 37 times against the Browns and the Cardinals are a pretty solid team right now that is going to be in a lot of favorable game scripts which obviously hurts DeAndre Hopkins upside and they just have so many players on that offense man it's it's actually incredible and there's a lot of talent and they're just not 
focusing on DeAndre Hopkins right now. They're they're not saying, okay, we need to get you the ball. No, Kyler is just out there and he's going to throw the ball to whoever's open. Mm -hmm. He's spreading it around and DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, he hasn't been great this year in fantasy. I would know. I've had him. I don't know, man. He only has 38 targets on the season through six games, which is kind of disappointing. But six touchdowns is really good. And unsustainable, if you ask me. Hey, we, we've seen touchdown rates sustained with uh, some of the elite guys like uh, Derrick Henry, etc. So who, who knows? Maybe it is sustainable. Maybe. Maybe it is. So in week six, Allen Robinson had the second most targets he's had this year, the second most yards, and the second most catches he's had, right? That sounds pretty good. Things looking up for Allen Robinson? No, not so much, because those numbers are seven targets, four catches, and 53 yards. Robinson on the season is currently averaging six targets per game, 3.5 receptions, and 39 yards. He has one touchdown through six weeks. I think Allen Robinson has officially reached certified bus status. Like, how, how are we handling Allen Robinson? Is there any shot that he bounces back in 2021? It's looking rough for him, I think. He's averaging eight fantasy points per game in full PPR, which is abysmal. He was a third round pick. Like you said it, he's a stone cold bust right now. And I don't think there, I don't think there's any hope. Honestly, Mm. the way this Bears offense is right now with Justin Fields, they want to throw the ball at a very low rate. In my opinion, they want to hide Justin Fields. And even when they're in negative game scripts, which we saw yesterday against the Packers, they're not that effective and he's not even really looking towards Allen Robinson. So if you can, I say sell him. If you know, there's a person in your league that is a Bears fan or an Allen Robinson fan or or somebody that, you know, kind of needs a receiver and maybe you can sell him based off his name, but he hasn't been good. He is one of the biggest busts in fantasy football. And I am glad that I did not draft any of him in redraft and not much of him in best ball. It, It looks like it's working out. See the window to sell, I think is closing, if not closed. My, my last bit of hope for it would be that the Bears get Tampa Bay this week, which is a pass funnel. And I mean, if Allen Robinson has a good game in this spot, I would immediately be looking to sell. So maybe you hold for one more week. I definitely wouldn't start him or trust him. But if he's able to have a good game against a weak Tampa Bay secondary, it would be it would be time to vacate him off of all your rosters if you could. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree 100%. While we're on the subject of disappointing wide receivers, I think we got to talk about Keenan Allen here because at the beginning of the year, I thought that his lack of production was sort of due to the fact that there was like a passing of the torch and that big Mike Will was full blown in the middle of his fifth year breakout. And, you know, Mike Will was transitioning into being a stone cold elite alpha wide receiver one. And and that was the cause of Keenan Allen's dip in production. But I, I don't think that anymore. I'm starting to think, that Keenan Allen might just be dust. He might be washed. Because in week six, Mike Williams, still dealing with an injury, only played on 36% of snaps. The Chargers were down this entire game from jump. Perfect game script for Keenan Allen to feast, get a bunch of targets, and, and come back mode for the Chargers. And yet he finishes with five catches on five targets for 50 yards. He had one more target than Josh Palmer. He was not being utilized. And it's just absolutely disgraceful what we're seeing with Keenan Allen here. I don't I don't know what excuse we could possibly give him. I don't know. Like like what are we seeing here with Keenan Allen? Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Keenan Allen. And up to this point he's gotten targets, right? Like he was one of the most targeted receivers in the NFL up to week six. And his floor, I think, is is still 
pretty solid. You know, he hasn't scored less than 10 points in a game this season, but the upside just hasn't been there as we've seen in recent years. He only has one touchdown. Mike Williams, like you said, has kind of taken over as the alpha in that offense, and maybe his lack of production is because it is a new offense, you know, new head coach and whatnot, and they're not utilizing him in the same way they did before where he was an elite fantasy receiver but god I mean he he's just been disappointing to start this season and I'm hopeful that it can turn around um this is still one of the better teams in the NFL one of the better offenses with Justin Herbert at the helm but it's definitely something to monitor moving forward and I I I probably would trade him if you could you know snake a a top end receiver for him like a Calvin Ridley or or something like that I I don't know Hmm. who you could get for him but if you can get like more touchdown upside at your wide receiver in terms of a trade partner um I I would look I would look to trade Keenan Allen definitely shout out to all the people who who roasted us for saying that Mike will was the wide receiver one in LA at this point I mean Um, it's clear cut looking to be very clear cut it's clear cut (laughs) All right, last story of the day. We're going to go to the tight end position with Darren Waller, who was targeted a season low five times in week six. After coming out on fire in week one this year, he had 19 targets and a 10 catch performance. It looks like it was wheels up for, you know, Darren Waller drafters. Everybody who took him at the two, three turn was about to be sailing to the money. But since then, it's been relatively disappointing. Since week one, he has no game with over eight targets. He has five or fewer receptions in every game uh, between 45 and 65 receiving yards in every game and only one touchdown scored since week one. Now, because the tight end position is so bad, he is still a top four tight end in PPR, but it's just not what you're looking for at a player that you had to draft at the two, three turn or a player of Waller's caliber, even at that. And it's kind of surprising as well, because it's not like the Raiders offense is busting. They're actually clicking. I think they're a lot better than people expected them to be this year, but it's just not happening for Darren Waller. I mean, I would be confident in a bounce back but it's just not what you want to see at this point in the season yeah the targets are still there you know he has what he has seven targets in every game besides the game that just happened yesterday he hasn't been good just in terms of the box score but he's still an elite tight end so so i'm hopeful that he can turn it around and like you said the raiders offense is clicking they had a they had a good game yesterday even with their head coach getting fired so that's kind of encouraging to see and like i said i'm still hopeful with darren waller but he definitely has been disappointing this season to where you had to draft him like you said two three turn and best ball in you know you're just not getting much out of him right now especially as a second round tight end draft selection so i, I don't know man he, he he just needs to turn it the fuck around because i have so much darren waller it's not even funny and it's kind of pissing me off yeah man i mean god like all all of those Kelsey and Kittle teams, all the CMC teams and best ball. It's all chalked. It's all chalked. Everybody was so hyped for those one-on-one teams. They're like, yo, I got Christian McCaffrey and, and Darren Waller. Well, guess what, buddy? You're you're in 12th in your best ball league right now. <laughs> yeah, this best ball season is chalked, but yeah, Darren Waller, I mean, he's just another player that isn't scoring touchdowns right now. You know, same thing with Keenan Allen. He only has two touchdowns through through six games something that we didn't really think was possible before the season you know he's he's a clear-cut red zone threat one of the best in the NFL and they're just not utilizing him in the red zone at this point so unfortunate with Darren Waller but I definitely think he's still a top option and if somebody's willing to to sell low on him I would be interested in acquiring Darren Waller in redraft leagues 
All right, guys, that is going to be it for episode 171 of the DFS Dose podcast, man. Make sure you follow us at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover, Joey's at Joey Carey and DFS. We'll be back on Thursday with our first look at the week seven NFL DFS slate. For more NFL DFS content, check us out on YouTube at the DFS Dose. We just hit 300 subs. That's dope. Shout out to the people for getting us at that benchmark. 350 is the next one, so help us get there. And you can always connect with us for free by joining the Discord channel. Link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.